right now on Matter of Fact. I saw a study, I said, let me make a TikTok about this. <laughs> a med student had a concern and took it to social media. That pulse oximeter may not catch them and it may send them home earlier. A disparity in medical devices that don't always accurately read on a person with darker skin. There's some devices that are approved with just being tested on 10 people. Now, a researcher is also pushing for change to make sure everyone gets equal treatment. Plus, millions of Americans need help putting food on the table. I think that people feel really guilty for using government assistance. A New York mother depending on that help became a resource for others in the kitchen. A can of beans and a carton of eggs and a box of cereal. It's like, make a meal for your family. And not everyone has the tools to do that. How her viral videos are helping families on a tight budget make healthy meals. And looking for love this holiday season? We are built to form a partnership, and the new way to do it is these dating sites. We explore the brain science that could change the way you use dating apps to find your match. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. Depending on what you look like, studies show the medical treatment that you get can be vastly different, not just with bedside manner, but also the instruments used to test your health. Pulse oximeters check your blood's oxygen levels and are easy and painless to use. And they're often wrong. These devices are nearly three times more likely to produce an inaccurate reading for a black patient than for a white one. That's according to a 2020 study in the New England Journal of Medicine. An FDA advisory panel is now looking into whether regulations and labeling should change. Joelle Burvell is a medical student whose TikTok video on this underlying racial bias went viral. So my percentage right now is 98%. 100% is like the max, but most people are between like 95 to 100. What it's essentially looking for is it's looking for your oxygen saturation of hemoglobin. And so it's seeing how much light is absorbed back from that hemoglobin. But in darker skin tones, melanin also absorbs light. And so it can cause that number to be increased. My name is Joel Burrell. I'm a fourth year medical student at Washington State University, but I'm doing a research year right now at Johns Hopkins. In medicine, there's a myth online I'm better known as the medical mythbuster for talking about issues of healthcare disparities that exist and have long been overlooked in medicine. One of those examples is pulse oximeters. I was on Instagram, like many other people during the pandemic, and I was scrolling through and I saw an article from the New England Journal of Medicine um, that was essentially showing how these devices that are meant to measure oxygen saturation don't read as equally in darker skin tones. And for me, knowing that one, I'm a black person, two, I'm a black medical student, and three, that my medical school hadn't even talked about any of these issues, that concerned me. I did what anyone else would do, right? I saw a study, I said, let me make a TikTok about this. <laughs> the first thing I wanted to include was what was the problem? And so I focused on, I'm calling it racial bias in medicine. The bias in the device isn't the device itself, but how it was manufactured. So many of these devices are tested on populations that have lighter skin, not darker skin. And then I talked about the significance of that. Because if a patient comes in with COVID, with shortness of breath, that pulse oximeter may not catch that. And it may send them home earlier. Pulse oximeters measure how much oxygen saturation. That video ended up um, going viral. and got half a million views within about two days. And a lot of the comments were from doctors and nurses and students saying, I've never heard about this. Social media gets a really bad rap, right? But I think there are opportunities to bring that education to people and allow them to be able to understand more about their own health. Like, 
how does that impact my own family members when they're going in, making sure that they can advocate for themselves. Um, I think that's really why I do the work I do right now. Valencia Joyner Kumpson is an associate professor of electrical and computer engineering at Tufts University and is working on solutions to this problem. Thank you for talking with me. So I feel like me and everybody else ordered a pulse oximeter kind of at the height of the pandemic when we thought there were so many unanswered questions. Can you explain what the, the problem seems to be? One of the issues that came up at the FDA forum on November 1st is that there is a need for more regulations and guidelines and more rigorous testing of these devices before they are approved. Because at the moment, there's some devices that are approved with just being tested on 10 people. The FDA guidelines only require you to test it on healthy subjects and will only require you to have 15% of your test population have dark skin pigmentation, which is very subjective. So if it's reading 92 and you're actually at 88, consistently because you have darker skin, you could see how you wouldn't get supplemental oxygen. You know, it's used to, to determine, you know, who's admitted to the hospital from the, from the emergency room, who gets COVID-19 therapies, medical approval for home supplemental oxygen, and, you know, Medicare approval is all based on these oxygen saturation thresholds. Is there a value in owning a pulse oximeter? I have one at home um, that I use. My son has asthma. I got an FDA-approved one from a device manufacturer. And that's just on, based on my own sort of in-the-lab testing um, and companies that I've followed over the years. So I'm curious if you think that ultimately this concept of we start looking at one population and kind of approve for how this one population does yes. often leads to these kinds of problems. Knowing that there is this confounding factor and not testing for it, even though it's not required by the FDA for you to do that, you know, um, is that ethical? But the question remains, what happens with the, the thousands of devices that are currently being used in hospital settings every day? And I think that there will be a larger discussion about other devices, like infrared thermometers, and not being able to properly record a fever on patients with darker skin pigmentation. How do you see a fix to this? What is the solution that, that you think you could propose to this? I think that embedding more smart features um, into these devices can really go a long way into improving accuracy and also testing, you know, ensuring that we test um, and using objective measures of skin tone and uh, to test on different age groups as well. Valencia Joyner uh, Kumsen is an associate professor at Tufts University. Thank you for talking with me. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Soledad, for having me. Next on Matter of Fact, a mother in New York knows what it's like to feed her family on a limited budget. I'm going to use my white card first. Now she's using TikTok to help families like hers prepare great food. What's different about your grilled cheese and tomato soup? There's nothing different about it. It uses all WIC approved ingredients. And later, how a video game for canines could help exercise your dog's brain. You're watching Matter of Fact, America's number one nationally syndicated public affairs news magazine. We all see the skyrocketing prices at the grocery store. 2022 saw historic increases in food prices, up about 10%. The sticker shock has pushed more struggling families, not only to food banks, but also to apply for government food assistance, like WIC. It stands for the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Low-Income Women, Infants, and Children. 
More than six million people depend on WIC each month. Families get a voucher to buy specifically labeled foods at stores, and that can be limiting for families trying to make their food stretch for an entire month. Our correspondent, Jessica Gomez, introduces us to one New York mom who needed the short-term help and is now going viral as she helps others eat healthy food on a tight budget. Every day we wake up and hustle. That's the Brooklyn way. A trip to the grocery store. For 28-year-old Sunny Rudd of Brooklyn, there's always a game plan. So every time I get here, I have to pull up the app on my phone and it shows you kind of everything that you get for the month. Sunny is a WIC recipient. WIC is a federal grant program that helps low-income women, infants, and children with supplemental nutrition. So I have $49 in produce right now, and that's for the month. I'm gonna use like $10 today. But for Sunny, it wasn't always this way. Graduating from New York University with a master's degree in musical theater, the single mom knew she would need some temporary help getting by. I applied for WIC like early on in my pregnancy, and that's how I was paying for everything. So on the shelf, you see these green WIC labels. Just because it is labeled on the shelf does not mean that it's covered on your package. A process, she says, that took some navigating. I'm gonna use my WIC card first, yeah. Both at the grocery store. I'm gonna make a sweet potato and chickpea curry. And in the kitchen, trying to make things stretch and learning how to make healthy meals with limited ingredients. When someone gives you a can of beans and a carton of eggs and a box of cereal, it's like make a meal for your family. And not everyone has the tools to do that. But I'm gonna zoom in on the first step of this recipe. While learning those tools herself, Sunny started documenting her journey, mostly on the social media platform TikTok. Good morning, let's make some breakfast. I realized that I was like developing a skill and I started talking about that skill online. You can eat only on WIC for a week straight. Watch me do it. I think that the people who are already on those programs don't feel like they have the energy or the skill set or the tools or the money to eat healthy. And so what I'm saying is that this is an easy way to get started. Her recipes resonated. But as her social media following took off, at first, Sunny says it wasn't all sunshine. If you use your own money, you don't have to worry about things being WIC approved. Anything to live off handouts, I guess. I think that people feel really guilty for using government assistance because other people are quick to shame you for using it. We need red pepper. Finish. Then something happened. A few of her recipes went viral. This one for grilled cheese and tomato soup, racking up some 10 million views on both TikTok and Twitter. This is crazy because I just like posted this video and it's like, it's not stopping. <laughs> What's different about your grilled cheese and tomato soup? Nothing, nothing. There's nothing different about it. It uses all WIC approved ingredients. I'll get some of these and then I'll get some of these. Ingredients that are saving her followers money. It's scary to go to the grocery store on such a tight budget. One in four people in America is on some sort of federal nutrition assistance. Mm -hmm. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me. What I've learned recently is that there's a lot of people that are not on WIC that are still following me for affordable nutrition. Show them, I'm using these chickpeas. Her growing platform now attracting dietitians, nutrition companies, and the nonprofits that help distribute WIC benefits. Some partnering with and now paying Sunny to share what she's learned. 
And while she's created a cookbook for sale online, she says her recipes will always be free on TikTok. I feel so grateful because I've built this community of people that I can relate to. <laughs> a community that may soon help Sunny and her daughter no longer need the extra help. Every day you remind me. I'm like waiting for the day where I can just like pop on my TikTok and tell everybody like, I have terrible news, you know? <laughs> Which would not be terrible news for me, but that day has not come yet. <laughs> In Brooklyn, New York, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Coming up, you hear the dating app ding and you scroll. All of a sudden you'll think, ah, oh, you know, he likes cats and I like dogs, won't work. Forget about it. How the science of the brain explains the dating choices you are about to make. season is officially underway. All those parties and galas and gatherings can put the pressure on to have a plus one. Many folks are turning to dating apps to find a partner. According to an annual Match.com study, 40% of people met their most recent first date online. But the stress of finding a connection has many people quitting the apps altogether, or at least temporarily. Researchers call it dating app fatigue. Our correspondent, Laura Chavez, talked to a researcher about how dating app fatigue is affecting love lives and brains. Kiera Hughes is a successful 39-year-old single woman who runs a learning center for children and is very close to having everything she wants. Is there anything missing from your life? Yes, a husband. I would love a husband. Kiera isn't alone in trying to find a partner. According to the most recent U.S. Census, a little under 50% of adults in America are single or unmarried. I've been dating for about two decades. Where and how are you meeting people? I've been set up by my friends and family members. I've even been set up by people in the grocery store. You mentioned that you've been on dating apps. I've tried POF or Plenty of Fish. I've tried Tinder. I've tried Facebook Dated. I've tried Bumble and Hinge. Match.com. Oh my goodness, there's so many. <laughs> How would you say you feel about dating at this moment? Some days um, I feel hopeful about dating. Um, some days I don't, I don't want to do it. <laughs> that kind of dating fatigue, which is mostly related to dating apps, inspired Maryland psychotherapist Nora Pattison to start a modern dating support group for singles like Kiera. Hi, I'm Kiera. We talk about setting and respecting boundaries, and then we also talk about navigating burnout and rejection as well. Wanting to meet someone, wanting a relationship, you have no idea what the other people logging into those apps are expecting. It does get overwhelming when you get in so many messages on this app and your phone is constantly dinging, dinging, dinging. Um, that can feel very overstimulating. Neuroscience explains why Kiera and so many others feel overwhelmed. And this little brain region, the ventral tegmental area, VTA, makes dopamine a natural stimulant. This is Dr. Helen Fisher, a biological anthropologist and chief science advisor to Match.com. She studied how people find and fall in love for over two decades and has data on why online dating might feel debilitating. 
we know from studying the brain that uh, we can absorb about uh, five to nine options. And after about nine options, the brain gets overloaded. It's called the paradox of choice uh, or cognitive overload. And this cognitive overload applies to everyone. It's a basic brain system. It doesn't matter what color you are, uh, where you came from, uh, what you do for a living, or whether you're gay, straight, trans, bi, whatever it is. It's exactly the same. Which brings us back to Kiera and her search for Mr. Right. What do you see for your future dating life? If I was to have one wish in the future, I just want God to send me a man through Amazon. <laughs> just bring him to my door and say, this is the one. In Baltimore, I'm Laura Chavez for Matter of Fact. Ahead on Matter of Fact, the world met Rosa Parks when she refused to give up her seat on the bus nearly 70 years ago. Rosa Parks and many other black women were at the forefront of this movement. We explore the untold story of the civil rights icon. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. An important anniversary to tell you about, 67 years ago on December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks was arrested in Montgomery, Alabama for refusing to give up her bus seat to a white man. It was the catalyst that propelled the Montgomery bus boycott to the national stage. But there's so much more to Parks' legacy. I'm the executive producer of The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks. It's a documentary that explores her life and her activism. I recently spoke to the film's directors, Yoruba Richin and Johanna Hamilton, who spoke about Parks' legacy. Yes, she uh, refused to get up that day, but she had, in a sense, been preparing for that moment for 20 years. She was well aware that they were seeking to bring um, litigation to end um, segregation on the buses. This is not an overnight thing. This is not something that you know happens in an instant. It's a long haul. The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks is streaming right now on Peacock. Still ahead on Matter of Fact, video games are going to the dogs with benefits that include more than high scores. And finally, a new video game for dogs. Joy Paw's game is pretty simple. Canines play by pushing their snouts against a saliva-resistant screen, like in this version of Whack-A-Mole. When a dog successfully chooses a mole, the machine dispenses a treat. Only it's not very easy to get dogs to stand in front of a screen and play human-inspired video games. So Joy Paw appeals to their appetites by asking owners to smear peanut butter on the screen. But it's not the first of its kind. In 2017, European researchers found that screen games may have cognitive benefits to help aging dogs. There is no official release date on the game. But the creators are working on a version that will have a human play against a dog. You can consider it a modern day version of man versus beast. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and YouTube.